I do want to start out asking you a couple of questions uh, at the beginning of this message. And feel free to respond however you would like to respond. You may nod or maybe raise your hand, however you want to respond to this question. Uh, the first question is a very common one. Are you a Christian? You know? I see a few who raise their hands and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, that's good. But most probably nod inside of you. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. If I was to ask you, what is the definition of a Christian? You probably have already made an answer, something along the line of a uh, Christian is someone who believes and trusts in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He has accepted him and uh, believes in him. So how we would define uh, what a Christian is. So you have a clear understanding of uh, what it means to be a Christian. Here's the second question. Are you a disciple? I don't see anyone respond. Because we hesitate. We really hesitate. We're not quite as sure when it comes to the definition of discipleship. What, what is a disciple? You know, when Jesus had disciples, he then later called them apostles. Well, I'm not that, you know. But what is a disciple? And it's interesting that we have succeeded in the West to sort of uh, turn uh, the Bible upside down in that we, uh, we are now first Christians and then we're talking about discipleship. That was not so in the early church. If you look at uh, the book of Acts, it says that the disciples, they were already disciples, were first called Christians in Antioch. So it's something that came later on. As, as, as the, the church spread and as the disciples spread and, and followed Jesus because they kept talking about this Jesus Christ, they said, we're going to call you little Christ. We're going to call you Christians. It's, it's a term that was used from outsiders defining us. It was not a self-identification. I think the church originally self-identified as what? Disciples. We're disciples. But we struggle today in our society, we struggle in our context to have a clear definition. What then is a disciple? Obviously, Jesus wants us to be disciples because that's a great commandment. He says, go and make what? Disciples of the nations. Not believers and not Christians, but really disciples. So what drives us in many ways is this concept of discipleship. Nevertheless, we don't really have a clear definition, do we? Or many of us may not have a very clear definition so as we're talking about our, our, our vision, our purpose as a church, we want to be shine the light of Jesus in knowing and following Him. One of the aspects we really want to consider is we want to make disciples. We want you all to be disciples of Jesus Christ. But the question then is, what does this look like? And so that's the, that's the topic, that's the theme I want to look at with you today. There's so much we could cover when it comes to discipleship, and I want to don't want to take a lot of time because I really want to give Mike uh, an opportunity as well to talk to us about discipleship from their context. What does it look like to make disciples somewhere else in the world? Maybe learn from that as well. What I want to do is not go into a lot of details. I just want to look at the word discipleship biblically and ask us the, qu the question, what does this word mean? How is it defined in Scripture? So um, uh, a disciple, of course, is a follower of Jesus. And the word disciple in English is from Latin. It's from the Latin word disere. And then they got the word discipulus, which is a learner. So the word disere means to learn. The word discipulus is one who is learning. That is also the case when it comes to the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in. The word is a, a, a mathetes, which is a learner. And manthano is the word to learn. 
So first and foremost, the Scripture simply says a disciple is a learner. It's a person who is learning and continues to learn in his journey, in, in, in his pursuit of Christ Jesus. So, for example, uh, Jesus said this in, both in Luke and Matthew. He said it a little bit differently. But in, in Luke, he said a student or a disciple is not above his teacher. And he goes on in Luke and says, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. It's the likeness of the teacher. And he says, you need to be fully trained. It's this aspect of being trained in becoming like Jesus, like him. And in Matthew, he says, uh, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. So Jesus says, all, it really, all this is about, in many ways, is to be like the teacher. And who's our teacher? That's Jesus, isn't it? So Jesus is our teacher. He says, I want, this is enough for us just to become more like he is and to be fully trained in this aspect. That is discipleship in a nutshell. However, we have to understand that discipleship, when it comes to learning, because we have this understanding of learning in society today, it's like you sit down, you learn some knowledge, you learn information, that's it. But that's not the biblical understanding of learning. I think learning always, always points to change, changing, transforming our lives. So as we pursue this word a little further, we come to what Jesus taught about learning. He doesn't use the word disciple here, but he uses the root of the word disciple, which is to learn. And so he's telling us what we ought to learn as disciples. So in, in Matthew 9, he says, go and learn, go and learn, be a disciple, what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's not about what you can do. It's not how much you can serve. It's not much how you can pour out your life. It's as much how can you display the character of God, this grace of God, the mercy of God to other people so they can see me in you. Go learn this. It goes on in, in uh, chapter 11. says, take my yoke upon you. You're familiar with this passage. And learn from me. Why? Because I am gentle. I am humble. It's talking about our character. So Jesus is in the business of developing our character. And says, gentleness, humility, these are the characteristics of, that I displayed. And I want you to display these characteristics in your life as well. That's what we ought to learn. That's what a disciple does. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, he says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. Well, what this is mean is basically saying, you need to be people with spiritual understanding, with spiritual discernment. You need to be able to, to see the world through spiritual eyes and understand what God is doing. That's what a disciple does. John chapter 6, everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. So not knowledge as in accumulating more knowledge as such, but it's a journey. It's the drawing near to Christ Jesus that Jesus is pointing about. So what does a disciple do? He learns in his character. He learns how to display the mercy, the grace of God. He has spiritual discernment and he, he, he simply pursues Christ. Then Paul goes on. Uh, he uses this word as well uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the letters of Paul. Uh, for in Ephesians, he says, you did not learn Jesus that way. You did not learn Christ this way. You did not come to know him that way. The word means to learn. Learn what? 
Well, the context is talking about um, uh, indulging in sensuality, impurity, in lust. He says, you, didn't, you don't know Jesus that way. That's not the Jesus that you know. So it's about purity. It's about persevering righteousness in our lives. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, we just talked about this recently. Uh, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice. It's not just a matter of knowing these facts. It's a matter of practicing these things. And Paul says, I've learned to be, be content. So it, learning that, that ultimately is applied, for example, in contentment. In Timothy, he's talking about the widows. These should learn... First of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for. On the negative side, he's talking about some widows who, who learn being idle. So learning always had, has this aspect of transformation, this aspect of applying things to our life and becoming more like Jesus. So apply, it's always in the context when we're talking about this concept of discipleship. A disciple is a learner. He's a follower of Jesus. He's a learner. But it's not just applying or learning. It's applied learning, not just acquiring knowledge. That's why Paul actually warns Timothy at one point and says that there are some who are always learning, but they never acknowledge the truth. It's not a matter of accumulating more knowledge. He says some keep learning. But they never actually acknowledge the truth. What does this mean for me today? And how do I apply this in my context? So this is sort of the, what, in a nutshell, what this word learn means. It's applied learning, how we change our lives. So Jesus is, is pursuing this changed life in our lives. That's what a follower of Jesus is and does. Now, the, um, Jesus, of course, did not speak Latin. Because we, we, we bounced this off English into Latin, into Greek. He didn't speak Latin. He didn't speak Greek. He spoke Hebrew or Aramean. And so he bounced it off the Old Testament. The question is, what does discipleship look like actually in the Old Testament? And the word shows up uh, only one time, in our translations at least, in Isaiah chapter 8, uh, where it says that we... He, God is asking Isaiah to seal up the law among my disciples. That's the word that's used here. Now, it's used again in Isaiah chapter 50, where it says, He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one who is being taught. Again, what is a disciple? Someone who's being taught. You wake me every morning. You wake me day by day, and you're teaching me. You're teaching me. But again, it's not just learning facts. It's applied learning. That becomes very evident uh, as we look more uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, the word is used like in Deuteronomy where it says, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. It's the same word, to teach, to learn. It's the same root word in the Hebrew language. Follow them. Follow them so that you may go in and take possession of the land. The Lord, the God, your ancestors is giving you. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 5, learn and follow. 4, verse 10, learn to fear, learn to observe. Do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations. He trains my hand for battle. He trained me in singing. 
So it's not just learning something, it's learning to follow, it's learning to fear, it's learning to observe, it's learning to do things. That's the kind of word that Jesus is using when it comes to being a disciple. So when we teach our children, that's the word that's used, you know, we ought to teach our children. It's not just teaching them to know the stories. That's the easy part. You know, we, you tell the children the stories of Jesus. That's a beautiful part. But for them to actually know, what does this mean then for my life? How do I apply this? And the, the difficult part is it's really hard to do. How do we actually help people be changed? That's discipleship. We help people apply this to their lives. Psalm 25 verse 4 says, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Let me learn to walk in your ways so that I would become more like you. Um, you need to know that this is not a uniquely Christian word. Uh, the word was used like for the Pharisees or the Herodians. They all had disciples. They had people who walked with them, who learned their traditions, learned their ways. And so they came to Jesus. Their disciples came to Jesus' disciple. So it's not a uniquely Christian word, but the, the, the emphasis is that we're disciples of Jesus. So we follow Jesus. We want to become more like Jesus, how he was. So in, in Romans 8, Paul says, uh, all things work out for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? And then he answers this question in verse 29. He says, it is to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's what God is after. So that we would become more like Jesus. That's discipleship. That's the transformational work that he's pursuing in our lives. In John chapter 8, he says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not just knowing me, but it's abiding with me. It's churning with me. It's following me. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner who applies what he's learning, who is becoming more like his master. He's pursuing Jesus. That is the definition, in short, of a disciple. Now, Derek has pointed that out several times, that the word disciple really, the last time it's used is in the book of Acts. Uh, chapter 21, verse 16, uh, the disciples came to a disciple by the name of Nason. So that's the last time the word is used. And from then on, the New Testament is quiet. You think like, why? If it's such an important term, and Jesus says, go make disciples. So why is the New Testament quiet after Jesus' resurrection and then the church, the beginning of the church, and all of a sudden the word disappears? It's like it's not there anymore. And Derek, you've pointed this out several times. It's, it's that Paul uses now different languages. He uses pictures such as family. He's talking about father and son, the relationship of, of, of parenting someone, of discipling someone in the context like a father disciples his son, like a mother disciples her daughter, how we do this to our children. So it's, it's this context. But the scripture also uses a different word, I think, in that it says that we are to be saints. And the word saint, in many ways, incorporates the concept of discipleship. It's this pursuit of holiness. It's this pursuit of righteousness. And so, whenever you, you open the letters of Paul, this is how Paul greets the churches. 
other than Galatians and Thessalonians, where it simply says to the church at, later on, he, we would always greet them as uh, Corinthians, sanctified in Christ, called to be holy. In Corinthians, the saints throughout Asia, the saints in Ephesus, the saints in Philippi, to the holy and faithful brothers, and Timothy and, and Titus, he says, to my son. So it's this concept of relationship between father and son, but it's also this imagery of, of the pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of holiness, which is the transformational work of God in us, isn't it? So scripture doesn't necessarily use the term, but it uses the impact of the word discipleship. To be a learner, to become more like Jesus, being transformed into his likeness. That is what he's pursuing. I told you I'm going to have a short message this morning. I'm going to wrap up my message because I do want to give time for Mike to be able to share just with uh, more the ap ap application of what this looks like in their context. I do want to point out this, um, uh, this study that was done in a book that was written in 1975 by um, James Engel and Wilbert Norton. And they wrote a book asking the question, what has gone wrong with the harvest? If we are sent out to go make disciples of the nations, what's gone wrong? with the harvest today. And in this, they pre present this um, uh, Engels, what is called, scale of evangelism. It's a scale of evangelism. And they're talking, putting this in a context of not just one decision, but it's a journey. So it begins with somebody who may know very little about the gospel, doesn't know anything about the gospel. Then they become aware of the gospel. They have some knowledge of the gospel. They understand the fundamentals of the gospel. They grasp the personal implication. What does this mean for me today? They recognize their need for Jesus, and they've be, been challenged to, become, uh, to be, become a Christian. Then they receive Jesus. is turning from their former lifestyle. They're being transformed. Their growth in character begins to use abilities and spiritual gifts, shows leadership potential, is being trained for the leadership, fulfills a leadership role. All of this is discipleship. All of this is his discipleship because Jesus says, if you, if you learn from my Father, you will come to me. And we can come, start coming to Jesus even with a far away. We don't hardly know anything. So people like in Vietnam who may be here at mi minus seven, they don't know anything about the gospel. They've never heard of the word God. They don't know about the Creator God. They no have never heard the word Jesus. So to bring them from minus seven to minus six can be a long time. It can, be time. Um, it can take time. But all of this is discipleship. So it's not just that we become Christians and then we're being disciples. If we help people grow in their faith, if we help them draw near to God, we're discipling a person. If we help them understand the impact that this has for their lives. So Mike, I'm going to hand it over to you. Just talk to us a little bit about what does this look like? in your context. Yeah, so Christian asked me to share a little bit about how we go about doing discipleship and what discipleship looks like in our context in Vietnam. Um, as Christian was pointing out, um, in Vietnam, especially up in the north, uh, from a very Buddhist, uh, Confucian, Taoist uh, worldview, uh, the concept of God as a creator does not exist. The concept of creation itself is, doesn't exist. So I think there's not enough numbers on the negative chart here for, <laughs> for the typical Vietnamese person, because they're, they're probably like minus 
you know, 35 or something like that. So, uh, so it does take a long time. We actually have uh, some teammates that have been engaging a small group of local Vietnamese uh, for over two years now, uh, reading through the scripture with them on a weekly basis. And uh, through this two-year process, we're beginning to see some of them now uh, move towards faith. Uh, so this is a group of people that are very interested, are willing to come on a Friday night, young people on a Friday night to go study the scripture together. Uh, and, and even with that group of people that are hungry, that are thirsty, it's still taken about two years uh, for them to move up the scale uh, to a point where faith is now an option for them. Uh, so, so it does take time with people. It is a process. It, and the more and more, uh, every time I come back to the United States, I see uh, that more and more people grew up outside of the church and are perhaps uh, uh, further down the scale than maybe we realize, especially those of us that grew up in a church background. Uh, we might not realize just how far down the scale some of our neighbors are. Uh, that didn't grow up in the church. They might not know the gospel. They might not have ever heard the gospel growing up. Uh, so uh, that's something that we can think about here, even in our context. In Kyrgyzstan, we work with a, um, a team of people, about seven people, and we are all bivocational by choice, uh, meaning that we all have jobs in our uh, in our. Uh, in Vietnam. Uh, part of the reason is that uh, Vietnam, Vietnam is a closed country, so it does not allow uh, for a lot of religious activity. It's highly monitored. Uh, you can't get a missionary visa into Vietnam. Uh, so we, we have had to come in uh, with a different type of visa, but we didn't want to go in uh, and just have sort of a, a fake platform to operate off of. Uh, we, if we were going to go in as teachers or business people, we wanted to be authentic in that. And so, uh, so everybody on our team has either a full-time job or a part-time job uh, in education and business uh, and a lot of different areas. And so that's one of the ways that we've been able to be effective with people is that we're, we're, we're living life in their context. Uh, we're not going in as professional Christians, uh, but we're going in and, as people working alongside uh, local Vietnamese. So that would be the, the very first thing that I would say to you is you don't need to be a professional Christian to be uh, somebody who makes disciples. In fact, it's probably better that you're not a professional Christian uh, because then you have the opportunity uh, to be in the context of real life with people and be able to live out the gospel in that context. Now our team, we've adopted um, a mission statement uh, or we call it a mantra because it's really short. Uh, and it goes like this, uh, that we wanna be engaged in authentic discipleship in the home, workplace, and community. And you'll notice it doesn't say anything about, uh, about the church there. Um, we do want to see the church as a result, but discipleship happens before the church. Uh, discipleship is, is that process of not trying to get people into the church, but trying to get the church into the community. Uh, and so that's the way we see the process of discipleship. It's engaging the community where they're at in their homes, in the workplace and other and other aspects of the community, and we we use the word authentic um, because we we see that discipleship is something that is involves our whole life. Okay, uh, discipleship is not this uh, segment of our life uh, that happens on Sunday mornings and the Wednesday night Bible study and and at prayer groups. 
but discipleship involves every aspect of our life. It involves, uh, it involves how we do our jobs. It involves uh, the models that we show people for uh, how we interact with them and how we deal with conflict and how we, uh, how we deal with traffic, you know, things like that. Uh, of course, I guess Roanoke doesn't have a whole lot of traffic, but I'm from LA and, and that becomes an issue. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so authentic is we want to be authentic in our, in our uh, ability to communicate with people and be able to uh, make disciples. And then we talk about uh, being disciplers in our homes and using our homes as a vehicle for discipleship. It was interesting, we spent 10 years in Kyrgyzstan and as we were leaving, the, we had this sort of going away party and a lot of the people that, that came to the party were people that came to faith through the ministry that we were involved in. And people had a, time, uh, a little bit of time to share uh, about uh, the impact we've had on their lives. Uh, you know, it's a, a time where everybody gets together, they share stories, they make us cry, and then, you know, we feel bad about leaving. So, <laughs> but uh, during that time, I found it really interesting that a lot of people, when they came up and they shared, they didn't share about the, the impactful Bible studies that we had with them. They didn't share about the seasons of prayer and the, uh, and the activities that we were doing. Uh, they came up, a lot of these were young people, a lot of them were single when we met them, college students. And wave after wave of these people just shared these stories. When I was in your house, I saw how your marriage was. I saw how you treated your kids. Uh, you know, when we ate dinner with you, we, we saw this something different about your family. Uh, and so they were sharing these stories about being in our home and how being in our home had an impact on them and leading them to the Lord. And so that, uh, that uh, helped us realize that uh, our home is a primary place of discipleship, that when we live out the gospel in the context of our family and then we invite people into our homes or we go to the homes of other people, our homes become this natural place where we can disciple people without words by just living the gospel in the context of a family. Uh, that's one way that we can disciple people. So we were purposeful about that when we moved to Vietnam to recognize that our homes are valuable, that our kids are not a distraction to the gospel. Our kids are not a distraction to ministry, but they're part of it. They're part of communicating the gospel. Uh, they're part of communicating what it means to follow Christ in the context of our home. Uh, and then the second thing is that we talk about being disciplers in the context of the workplace. Uh, now, if we think about it, Sunday morning, how long are we here for a Sunday morning? A couple hours maybe, you know? Um, where do we spend the majority of our time? It's not here on Sunday morning, right? The majority of our time is spent in our jobs, in the workplace. And that's where Jesus wants us most to be disciples and to be disciplers, as in the context of the workplace. It's really easy to be here on a Sunday morning and worship Jesus and talk about Jesus and live for Jesus here. But that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to actually make disciples uh, in life, in the context of the real world. And so being a discipler in the context of the workplace, uh, we found has been extremely important. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is not interested in professional Christians. Jesus is interested in Christian professionals. He's interested in 
uh, not professional disciples, but disciples who are professionals. So he's interested in, in disciple, uh, disciples who are following him as doctors. He's interested in disciples who are following him as teachers. He's interested in disciples who are following, them, uh, following him as coffee roasters. Uh, he's interested in disciples who are following him as janitors, okay? Because Jesus wants every aspect of our culture. He doesn't want just Sunday morning. He wants all of it. He wants the job, he wants the home, he wants the workplace, he wants everything, okay? So living out the gospel in the context of the workplace has become really important to us. And if we can go to the next slide here, um, I think I have a picture. Yes, so here's my workplace. Uh, our workplace, uh, Simple Coffee. So this is how we're living out discipleship in Vietnam as we, we realize that Vietnamese people, are they're, they're working 12 hours a day, uh, six, seven days a week. Uh, some of them don't even have a day off. And so if we're trying to reach out to the community, the community is in the workplace. And so we decided to start a workplace so that we could create this sense of community and begin to work with, uh, work with people in that context. And so uh, with our staff, that's uh, primarily who we're working with right now. And our staff is composed of some of them are Christians. So we have two of our staff members that are believers. And then we have three staff members that are not believers. Uh, so part of that discipleship is allowing them to interact and learn how to work with each other uh, as believers and non-believers. And then the other thing is that we're involved as well in trying to pour into their lives, modeling what it means to be a godly business person, what it means to follow Jesus in the context of running a, a company, running a business, okay? And so that's uh, one of the things that we're doing. And then the third area is community. Um, that we believe that God has called us to make disciples in the context of the community. Now, in Asia, it's a little bit different than in the West. In the West, we sort of operate off of a model of uh, we want to share the gospel with people, so we start with evangelism, and then after someone comes to faith, uh, we might begin to disciple them and teach them how to read the scripture and pray uh, and things like that. And then once, once we feel like there's a, a, enough disciples together, we might either invite them to the church or plant a new church so we create this spiritual community. Uh, what we found in Asia, and perhaps I think it's actually changing here in the United States as well, is uh, in Asia, uh, the individual is not the, is not the center of the universe. It's the community that's the center, okay? And so everything operates uh, based on the community. <clears throat> and so we've flipped that model around instead of going from evangelism, discipleship to community, we start with building community first. And we go from community to discipleship and learning how to follow Jesus in the context of that community, and that le actually leads people to Jesus. It helps them see models of following Jesus in the context of the community, and that gives us opportunities to the, begin sh uh, sharing with them how they can come to know Christ personally. Um, and so we've kind of flipped it around uh, in our context of, of, of community discipleship and, uh, and then evangelism. And Jesus himself talks about that, right? Uh, 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 Christian talked about the fact that disciples are learners, uh, but also uh, disciples are lovers. In fact, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment to his disciples, that you love one another. And that by that love for one another, that love in the context of a community, that love for one another, people will know that you're my disciples. So discipleship involves our heads and it involves our hearts. 
we are to love God with all of our heart and all of our mind. Uh, so we're to be learners and we're to be lovers uh, in the context of discipleship. And it's that love that, that's attractional to people. When people see genuine love, when they see that agape love in the context of a community, it, it's, it, it attracts people. They see something different than, than perhaps they haven't experienced before in, in their own lives. Uh, so if we can uh, click to the next slide here. Another aspect of discipleship, I think this is actually a forgotten uh, aspect of discipleship in, in most of our churches, uh, is the idea of inclusion, including people, especially people on the margins of society. Uh, I was reading again, as we're getting started uh, with vocational training in Vietnam, uh, I began to reread the scriptures again and, and, and begin to see what did the this, this scripture have to say about people on the margins, the poor and the disabled, okay? And what's God's heart for those people? And I came across this passage uh, in Luke 14 where Jesus tells this parable. He's been invited to a Pharisee's house and before he goes into the Pharisee's house, he's confronted, confronted by uh, a man with a disability. Uh, and, uh, and he touches this man on the Sabbath and heals him. And that was shocking for, for the Pharisees because here he, Jesus has defiled himself by touching this disabled person. Uh, and according to the, the Old Testament laws, you can't do that. And, and you especially can't do that on the Sabbath. But Jesus does that. And then when he gets into this, this banquet that he's been invited to, this dinner that he's been in, invited to by the Pharisees, he starts off by insulting his, his guest or his host. And he says, well, you got a lot of, you know, you got a lot of important people here around the table. The next time you give a banquet, why don't you invite the poor and the disabled and the blind and the crippled? Invite them to the table next time. Because if you do that, you'll be blessed. These people are not going to bless you. But if you invite the people on the margins, you will be blessed. And so uh, not a great way to start off your, your dinner conversation, but that's how Jesus did it, you know, by confronting that, 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 uh, that view that we want, just the, we want the attractive people, we, we want the important people at the table, right? And Jesus turns it around. No, he doesn't want the important people at the table. And then he goes on to tell this parable about the kingdom, and this great host who's inviting people to this great banquet. And as he invites people to this great banquet, everybody comes up with their excuse. You know, I don't have time. I, I have, you know, I've got to bury my dad. I've got a, a marriage. I've got this. I've got that. Everybody has an excuse. And then he says, so the, the host gets angry. And he says, well, go out into the streets. And let me just read what he says, because I think this is a forgotten part of the Great Commission. Um, Jesus says, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the towns and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Bring them in. And so they do that. And there's still not enough people. And then the host says, go out again and compel them to come in. In other words, grab them by the shirt and drag them in, right? So that my banquet will be full. Full of what? Full of important people? Full of rich people? Full of uh, the middle upper class? No, full of people on the margins of society. Full of the poor, the lame, the crippled, the disabled, okay? That's the vision of the kingdom. The kingdom, Jesus said, he didn't come to the healthy, right? 
He came for those who are in need of a physician. He came uh, when he announced his, his ministry, Jesus says, at the very beginning of the ministry, uh, in, uh, in Nazareth, as he's reopening the scroll, he reads from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or the year of Jubilee. And then he closes up the scroll and Jesus says, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to fulfill this prophecy. That's my mission. My mission is to go to the people on the margins and to bring them in to the kingdom. And so we think about that here in Roanoke. Who are the people on the margins here that need to be, I, I see all these empty seats here. Who are the people on the margins here in Roanoke that need to be sitting in these seats? And how can you go out onto the streets and drag them by their shirts and compel them to be here, to be here at the table? Uh, so that's kind of uh, our journey that we've been on, uh, and we share it with you because we're on that journey with you. We're not far down the road. Uh, we're, we're learning this as we go, uh, and we're learning how to be disciples, and we're learning uh, really who God has a heart for and, and who he wants to bring in uh, to become learners and lovers of Jesus. So thank you, Christian. I, I love that because we, we've seen so much of that also happening in our ministry in Thailand. A lot of time it was just the, through the community that people came to experience what Christianity truly is. If you try to share with them, there was just not an openness. There, there's no concept of God in, in many places of the world. And so even I think in, in our society today, people, you, you talk to them about, about God is right away there's a wall there. But living our community Living out our faith in community, and, and I think you're, you're really called to do this among the disabled community because not only to reach the disabled, but to reach those families as well. Whole communities, villages who are impacted by disabilities as well. And I think this is how the circles of growth of discipleship can happen. And you, you can even see the scale I showed up here. Community can be anything, you know. Community can come in at any point along that way where we live out our faith. I think that's the beauty of discipleship, and that's the beauty of what church can be.